Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Dhamma session. Tonight we're looking at <coughs> we're looking at a, a sutta. That's actually a sutta that I've taught before on the internet. Should be familiar to at least some of you. But we're going through in, in order uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya now, so I figured we shouldn't skip it because it's one of those suttas that I think of what you call perennial value. It's something that you can repeat, that should be repeated. It's a fairly simple teaching. There's not... Um, what you might call a great amount of depth to it <coughs> but um, it does lay out something very fundamental about Buddhism that I think is important it's also a sutta that my teacher talked about often which is I think as good a recommendation as any So we're looking at Majjhima Nikaya 29, the Mahasaropama Sutta. Saropama, Mahasaropama. Maha means it's a big sutta, or it's the, the bigger one of two. <coughs> There's another one that's the Chula Saropama Sutta, small one. Sara means... Sara means something that is... Uh, essential core it also means the core of a tree the heart of a tree I think that's how it's used in this sutta anyway it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's what it means because upama, upama means uh, a simile <coughs> so the Buddha used similes <coughs> so useful teaching technique it helps someone understand a new concept by appealing to their intimate understanding of a, an old concept a simple concept it allows us to categorize things this is like that it's a function of our mind uh, to, to categorize things if this is like that ah, then I know what sort of thing it is and how to deal with it. Sanya, 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 sanya means making it, knowing it like something else, recognizing it as like something else. It's a useful tool. So, <coughs> uh, the sutta starts out, the introduction, just to give a brief mention, is uh, on Vulture's Peak, which you can actually go and see in it. Even today it does look, you can understand why they might have thought it was like a vulture. It's a bunch of rocks piled up. Kind of like a vulture, it looks vulture-like. And it was a place where the Buddha spent some time. It was a place where the Buddha probably meditated quite a bit and even spent nights there. 
before I think before Vedavana was before the first monastery was created, this is where the Buddha stayed and was soon after Devadatta had left. So Devadatta was the Buddha's cousin. And uh, he caused a lot of problems. He was full of himself and wanted to be the big teacher. <coughs> and so he he caused a schism in the Sangha and he left. He left with a bunch of new monks who didn't know better. And well he ended up making a fool of himself and losing all of his followers, but At this point he had just left and and so it was in reference to Devadatta the Buddha talked about how some people just don't find what is essential. You know, rather than really talking bad about Devadatta, he just described Devadatta as someone who hadn't found hadn't found the source, hadn't found the heart. The heart of religion, one might say. I don't want to really say the heart of Buddhism because Buddhists don't believe in things like Buddhism. We believe in reality and truth and so on. Religion. I like to think of Buddhism as sort of like religion. Buddhism is pure religion. Religion in the sense of something profound, <coughs> something meaningful. And so in regards to what we might call religion, there are five, five checkpoints, or five aspects of how we might look at the world religiously. And uh, from the first one we can see that most of what we call most of most of what we aim for in the world is surprisingly not very religious. It's not very advanced from a religious point of view. So the Buddha says, uh, he's referring to monks, he says, someone leaves home, uh, becomes a religious person. And as a result of that, they become quite uh, perhaps famous or they fall under, a, they, they come under a famous teacher People look up to them, respect them, give them all sorts of support and esteem. Uh, and and they, become, they become content with that. You know, if you think in, from a religious, the point of view of a point, from, in terms of religious individuals, this is the charlatan, right? Someone is going to claim to be a religious individual, but then not do anything religious. Not even try to try to do anything greater. Um, pretend to be something they're not. And this is the worst, right? This is the lowest. But I'd like to look at this sutta not exclusively in terms of how it relates to monks, right? Because well, my audience is mostly not monks, and it's uh, it's I think a lesser point 
the greater point is that most of the world is caught up in things like gain and praise and fame and really what we're talking about is sensuality and uh, you know it's poetic to think of it like a, a monk is like a person going off into the forest and looking for heartwood looking for really the the core the the heart of a tree this hard wood that is very very like if you take teak it's the core the heart of the teak tree that is the strongest um but if you expand this and think of it think of all of us think of the whole world most people are seeking they're seeking something something good something beneficial something meaningful but they find meaning in things that are meaningless right so our 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 search is for sensuality we strive for beautiful sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings we strive for stimuli stimulus stimulation of the senses and i think this is a really important uh, entry point for religion i had someone uh, someone tried to i think my mother actually believe she tried to pin uh, fear as the uh, the catalyst for a religious mindset She's not religious She doesn't look highly upon religion She doesn't think very highly of my path I don't think Well, I'm able to convince her I think, no, that's not true Because she sees how meditation is helpful to other people um, But uh, So she said fear and, and I think it's true that many people turn to religion out of fear But I think it's uh, it's a bit deeper and there's something more meaningful and it's the sort of the realization that something's wrong something's wrong with uh, this picture so it could be a fear of death that could be a real catalyst but I mean it's much more broad than that Many people come to religion just because they they can't uh, they they can't comprehend they can't make sense of the world. They've they've gone through loss, or perhaps they've seen loss in others, or they've thought deeply about the world, and it just doesn't add up. If you look, one real common theme among philosophers and religious people alike is that desire it's not, not universal but it's something you see again and again Socrates, Aristotle even Epicurus um, you look at um, the Hindus all, all in India, everyone before the Buddha, they were all to all the different philosophers in India. 
they were all talking about this just around the time that Socrates was talking about it how desire uh, desire for sensuality is just it just messes you up doesn't doesn't lead to happiness or satisfaction it leads to dissatisfaction addiction it was this was the kind of thing people were talking about And so this is where religion starts. I think it's a big reason why religion clings so strongly to morality. And that's really the 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 entry point for religion, where religion says, No, don't do don't do this. Don't just follow don't just follow your whims. There's so many reasons, right? Following after our desires leads to war. It's why we go to war for the most part. Why there's so much war in the world It's mostly greed It's mostly because we all want More I mean there's other reasons But I think It's the biggest reason Why we fight with each other It's why families fight They can't get along It's I think it's a big reason Why divorce Divorce is so Common Well there's other reasons But I mean marriage was I think meant to be Kind of this um, limiting, right, of your addiction to sensuality, to sexuality, well, among other things, but some sort of order, right, because it's chaos. If everyone just takes what they want, most of our laws are, are meant to sort of stop us, stop us from doing what we want. We have this, uh, without any religious training, we have this, we want to do things that are very, very wrong, right? You have something, I want it. I want to take it from you. I mean, it leads to terrible things, theft, murder, rape, uh, not to mention war, genocide, all sorts of terrible atrocities, you know, things that we do as humans with our intense greed and, and, and other things, not just greed, but it's the big one. So the second, um, so the, the, someone who, se who seeks for desire, if you're familiar with this sutta, the Buddha compared them to people who go into the forest looking for wood and they come out with, uh, what, with with twigs and leaves And they say Hey look at the wood I got I'm going to build my house out of this Like the first little pig Or no, the second little pig <laughs> Twigs and leaves That's all they get Handful of leaves Hey look what I'm going to Look what I got This is how we live our lives Running around Finding meaning You know the the, the philosophy of 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 uh, indulgence. People talk about you know this. You know, well, while they're drunk, they sit around and philosophize about the good life. And hey, if it's good for you, go for it. You know, as long as you don't treat others badly. Or <coughs> no, not to look down on 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 people, but we're all we we've we have this in us this 
sort of animal lust, desire. Just take what we want and it We rationalize it, and, and so this, what I mean by philosophy is we try to rationalize it and we come up with all these quasi-philosophical arguments for you only live once, right? These kind of things. But, um, you know, the, in, in the biggest thing is that engaging in sensuality, it, it messes up your mind, prevents you from seeing clearly so morality is a big thing and, and the Buddha said well someone who, who engages in morality and then, and then sticks to that uh, he says that person has taken the outer bark right Yeah. There's a person takes bark, a bunch of bark, and says, Oh, look at me, I've got wood. Maybe they can make a bark dress out of it or something. Can't make a house out of it. It's nothing very significant. Morality is interesting. Um. I think it's superior to sensuality, you know, if you can if you can uh because, because it's superior because it involves contentment. You could say it's a sort of a forced contentment, but a person who is moral and there's people like I mean most of us are like that most of us aren't raping and pillaging and killing each other for for our belongings. Most of us are fairly ethical as human beings. To be born a human, you have to be fairly ethical in the first place. But so it's superior because we're 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 less crazed and and addicted. We have greater contentment because we stop ourselves. You know, I say, okay, I want that. Well, I'm not going to go for it. And because we don't go for it, we don't encourage the addiction. And so in general, our minds are more content just from, from ethics, from morality. More stable, more clear, the mind is more clear. Because we don't kill and steal and cheat and lie and so on. But it's not nearly enough, you know. You look at these priests and Buddhist monks who abuse little boys. You, uh, if um, so many religious people who are so repressed and and just angry and bitter, um, and and are 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 often you know become perverse as a result and and take even greater pleasure uh, guilty pleasure like for most of us it becomes guilty pleasure we know it's wrong we know it's 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 kind of like worse than just saying uh, I like it so I'm gonna go for it when you say it's wicked it's sinful right 
morality can become quite perverse when we say something is sinful and we feel guilty about it, but we do it anyway. And it's even more attractive, the, the taboo, the, that which is wrong. I mean, that's the only way I can make sense of this, why it's actually apparently not, um, you know, religion, religion doesn't, religious people don't abuse young children any more than any other position of power. Apparently they did a study on it. But, um, I mean, I think there's, there is something there that morality, it can be quite dangerous if, if, if you rely upon it. At the very least, it's just repressing. It's, it's just a sort of a stemming the tide with your bare hands, just trying to hold back the the power of the lust and the desire. It's a good attempt and it's a good start. It's certainly necessary. I mean, you can't really hope to understand, to make sense of the world and, and you know rise above the tide if you're drowning in lust and desire and addiction. You have to sober up before you can see clearly. So this temporary solution is quite useful. Coming here is to the meditation center is a temporary solution. You're on you're on in detox. It's like a detox center. You come here and it helps you get your life back together. That that's the start. Keeping all these rules and precepts and really just living an austere life. You guys are living more austere than many monks. Should be congratulated. So that's the second. The third, what do you need to do next, right? Well, really, uh, what morality of if, if ethics, if performed properly, what it leads to is calm. So by not doing all these things, your mind starts to calm down and uh, clear up. And it, it, ethics really taken to its ultimate conclusion or, or its consummation. It's not about not killing or stealing. It's about um, uh, purifying the mind, really. You know, it's about when you see something about guarding that so that so that your mind doesn't your mind doesn't do something unethical you know, the 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 shift from from ethics to meditation comes about when you prevent your mind from from doing bad things not just your body of killing and stealing but where you know something comes that would anger you, and you you stop your mind. Again, it's this sort of forcing your mind not to, not to do what it wants to do, not to do what it it's used to doing, it's accustomed to doing. Getting angry instead, you say when we say to ourselves, "Seeing, seeing." That's building concentration.
Now, with our with, with that kind of practice, it's it's not really easy to get stuck on concentration because it's actually considered not to be the practice of concentration. It's it's insight, but that's where it gets a little complicated. There are many types of meditation, and this is where religion really becomes quite religious. They may call it meditation, they may not call it meditation, but where it calms the mind down and clears the mind up, where you force the mind into a state, or you train the mind, let's be, be, be uh, generous, charitable, you, you train the mind in such a way that it, it calms down. It doesn't ever, it's like you, you circle the wagons and you keep the mind in the fence, or you, you build a fence and you keep the mind tied to a rope so it can't go out. And uh, so this is the practice of samatha meditation mainly, or let's say the, the calming of the mind. It's a common Buddhist practice, but it's definitely a common religious practice to find a way to calm the mind. Theistic religions pray, uh, read, study, sing, you know. I know many religious traditions sing and even dance. It's all meditation. It's all ways of just putting the mind in a trance state so that it doesn't wander, so that it doesn't get distracted or attracted by the the evils of the world. And it's better than ethics. I mean, it's, it's dealing with the mind. It's a very powerful state. It's such a powerful state that if you really get into it, you, know, you can become God. The Hindus talked all about this. The Brahmins, you become one with God. The, in the Upanishads, so it's a big thing in Hindu meditation nowadays. It's all about becoming God. Watch this, you know, the Buddha actually agreed with him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to become one with God. So is that it then? You become God? No, 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 no. No, because remember, it's still just some kind of some kind of repression, some kind of avoidance. It's like saying there's, there's problems with our country, so let's go and take a vacation. Here we live in this country, and there's all sorts of social problems, and well, let's go to some tropical island. Which is fine, you know, you can go live on the tropical island, but it doesn't fix the problems in your homeland. And if you want to take the take the analogy even further, well you don't have a passport for this island, so eventually you gotta go back. Yeah, even a god, right? And this is well something that is Let's not talk about being a god because it's not something I suppose many of us think about here, but just in terms of tranquility meditation, when you stop practicing, all your problems come back. Even with vipassana meditation, when you come here, a lot of what you're doing is just calming down. Really, a lot of it is forced. 
And so when you leave here, you're going to feel very calm and, wow, I really improved my life. But then you get out there and oh, all the problems come back. We overestimate our progress because a great part of our progress is just this tranquility aspect. The calming of the mind, the, the strong training of the mind and calm. And then it all comes back and it's, it's some doubt comes to meditators often. Eh, did I really, was it really as good as I thought and why am I still have all these same problems? It's usually not that bad. I mean, I've never really heard a meditator feel like, oh, that was a waste of my time. But you have to grudgingly accept that, oh, it wasn't as, um, you know, I, didn't, I didn't get rid of everything. I didn't get rid of all the things I thought I got rid of. And this, this wake-up call was going to take longer than I thought. So the Buddha said, a person who um, who practices samatha meditation, who calms the mind down, is like a person who picks up the inner bark. I think, right? Yeah. takes the inner bark and says, hey, look what I got. Still not very useful. So here's where Buddhism comes in, really. I mean, in Buddhism in the sense of the philosophy of the Buddha. Because at the time of the Buddha, there were clearly people practicing to calm the mind down. And in other religions, and we say religions that don't really have any... Um, don't really have any part in, in what we would call wisdom in terms of understanding, you know, religious and and I don't mean religions like Christianity as as a religion, but people practicing religious ways that are mostly just faith based where they believe something. But a lot of these people they, they calm down, right? They have ways of calming themselves. Hinduism where it's all about becoming one with God and so on. They calm themselves down. But in Buddhism we we have this conceit that um, that we have wisdom. We have some sort of wisdom higher than these other paths. And so this is what we get into in the practice of insight meditation. You learn so much about yourself, right? I really do think it's a it's a different type. It's it's impossible to suggest that it's the same type as all these other types of meditation. Because you're not trying to calm the mind. You're not really trying to. I mean, you're not achieving high states of equanimity or tranquility. Instead of running away, you're you're actually sorting things out. You're learning to dance, or learning to fight, or learning to exist in a war zone, really. And the benefit of that is the training, the, the familiarity and the ability, well, the biggest is the understanding. 
of war, the understanding of the war inside, actually suffering through your problems, your likes and dislikes, your ego, your anxiety, your fear, your doubt, all of this, actually suffering through it, how this, this is how change, the, the real deep change comes about, because we're doing it to ourselves, understanding desire, understanding addiction, understanding the guilt for wanting things that we know are wrong, and understanding our anxieties and fears, our worries, our doubts, our conceit, our understanding all these things is understanding that which causes us suffering, that which hurts us. We think, oh, well, then have we found the heartwood? And the answer is no, we haven't. No, even that's not good enough for the Buddha. Even the understanding we gain, that you're gaining now through meditation, is not enough. You can still forget it. Often you know something is wrong or you you learn something is wrong, but you still go after it. And you can lose your way and learn something. You can forget it. So the goal isn't <clears throat> the heart of religion or whatever you want to call it, existence. The, the real essence of existence isn't even wisdom not in that not that sort not what we normally think of as wisdom but wisdom is is the uh, the tool you know if you gain enough wisdom if you gain enough wisdom there's this um this kind of epiphany really or it's more like a, a landslide where the mind begins to create this feedback loop, really. Yes, that <clears throat> that is not worth clinging to. That's not worth clinging to. That's not worth clinging to. And again and again until nothing is worth clinging to. Well, until there comes this moment or this, this landslide, uh, sort of like a... a uh, explosion of of light where the mind has an, uh, a feeling a that's uh, such a inadequate word but <coughs> a uh, deep and profound complete uh, perception of nothing being worth clinging to. That's the point. You know, so this wisdom of seeing, oh, look at me cling to these things, they're not worth clinging to. Look at that. Here I am. That's why I'm suffering, because I'm clinging to these things that are not worth clinging to. I'm trying to fix things. I'm trying to control things. I'm reacting to things. That's where the problem is. So then when you see that again and again and again, and it becomes this, feedback loop that gets stronger and stronger and stronger until it just overwhelms you and you have this complete 
perception of nothing being worth clinging to that's the moment that's what leads to freedom that's what leads to the experience of nibbana nibbana is just this unbinding where you let go and that's what causes the experience of cessation and it's the experience of cessation that is categorically different I think the the, the best way of explaining why that is so is because it it is peaceful it is happiness that it uh, it is something uh, the Buddha says un unassailable unshakable right because if you say x y or z is going to cause you ha going to bring you happiness Um, then all, all that has to happen for you not to be happy is you don't get X, Y, or Z but by definition the state of not clinging to anything saying of, of feeling that, of, of not even intellectually but just having the state of mind of not wanting to cling to anything I mean that is where the power is And once you, you, I mean, the, the experience and the verification that that is true, that of the, the, the perfect peace that comes from that, that is life-changing. That is the heartwood. And that person who's gone all that way, now oh, they've found something really essential. You see, I think this is a very important description. I mean, it, 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 a lot of it's simple and stuff that we know of morality leading to concentration, to wisdom, but it's, you see, it's a little different. Instead of morality, concentration, wisdom, we have a good explanation of, of uh, what's, what's enough and what's not enough and how far, how far you have to go what we're going for and why we're going there why we can't just go home and enjoy life you know thinking about these things I think is quite useful and being able to map out a path I think is quite useful so I think this is a sutta that this sort of fairly simple but you know at the same time quite profound teaching and that's the Dhamma for tonight thank you all for tuning in have a good night